Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg, here with you again this week, and today I have three different stories I want to talk about. Uh, and it's weird because it's E3 week, so there's a lot of hype things going on, a lot of people a lot of people actually disappointed with E3, and I, and I have to say, I don't see how this year is any worse than any other year. It, it's really, it's odd to me, y you know, it, it's almost like people's expectations are getting so into the stratosphere that they don't realize what the show even is anymore. You know, like people were complaining yesterday morning. So Monday morning, people were complaining about the quality of E3. E3 hadn't even technically started yet. <laughs> the only thing that had started were the early press conferences, which are Bethesda, EA, and Microsoft. Now, I'm not saying that those aren't impactful to E3, but, but like you have to understand the way this works is oftentimes those press conferences will have information they'll have trailers and fancy stuff but the meat and potatoes of what you see come out of the conference comes through today tomorrow and wednesday you know and or i should say yesterday today and tomorrow uh since today's tuesday and, and and so nintendo's press conference is in like an hour and 45 minutes i'll probably live stream that but there is just this strange like everyone's upset about e3 and I don't, I don't get it. Like, it's not that E3 is getting worse. I think it's the people's expectations are getting stupid. I don't know what people expect of this. Like, it's it's a marketing thing. They're, they're going to show off and try to make their games look as good as possible. If they don't have anything to show, they don't have anything to show. You know, like, like Ubisoft, I still would argue I don't understand why they even do a presentation because they had so little to show that was, you know, groundbreaking. But they still showed off a lot of stuff. Just none of it was stuff that, you know, was like new and surprising. And it's almost like people want E3 just to be new and surprising. They don't care that it's that it's uh, about things that are announced already and hearing new info about those things. It's like if it's not the first time it's been announced, then it's old news and it's it's crappy. Very strange. I, very very strange. And so, I I feel like. I'm trying to stay positive. And, and I'm, I'm anybody who listens to podcasts for any amount of time or knows me personally or has talked to me in my store, you know that I prefer the PlayStation brand. I have ever since the PlayStation 1. And I'm not like some diehard fanboy. It's just that system's always giving me the best place to play the games I want to play. And that's not saying that I don't own the other systems. I own everything. I really like the 360. I played a lot of 360 stuff. Um, but the PS3, while it, it came in, with a whimper, it, it left that generation with a roar. And, and some of the best experiences in gaming were on the PlayStation 3. Some of the best games you could get. And Microsoft started super strong, and they just kind of faded away at the end because they were so focused on the Xbox One at the end. So knowing that I, I lean Sony is like not a surprise to anybody who knows me. But... <laughs> I thought Microsoft's press conference was fine. <laughs> and then, and I'm the type of guy who I'll take any chance I can to take a shot at Microsoft. Yesterday at the store, I was trying to get Twitch up on the, the Twitch app on my Xbox One going. And that interface is so clunky and garbage that it, it makes my head just want to explode. And so I, I'll take any shot I can at Microsoft and the Xbox. But their press conference was pretty good. Like, what were people expecting? They showed they showed more of the new gears and new Halo that they announced. They showed off new stuff. They showed off add-ons. Like, it's it's basically it's your cookie cutter conference. You have a little bit of something for everyone. 
And they announced new things like Minecraft Dungeons, which is like a Diablo-like Minecraft. And they announced, um, you know, they show a ton of Cyberpunk, which they beat Sony to the punch. They got the Keanu Reeves reveal. Like, that stuff, like, what what were people's expectations? That's, that, you know, and I don't like to use the word entitled because I think that's incorrectly been abused lately because I do feel like you are entitled to things. Like if I pay $60 for a game, I'm entitled to that game. So I don't think entitled is a bad word. I don't like it used as such, but I, I believe the way to flip that around and the proper way to say it is that people's expectations are ridiculous. It's not that they're entitled or that they quote feel entitled. It's that it's that their expectations are so bonkers that none of it's ever possible to make them happy. And so instead of saying that they're entitled whiny babies, it's better just to say that they have ridiculous expectations. I think that's the argument I try to make. And so I, I, it's been a weird E3. So I'm going to talk more about E3 and like the conferences and stuff. I want to go over more of that probably next week. I can, once all the dust settles, I could talk about the best parts of it, the worst parts of it, you know, stuff like that. What I thought were hits and misses. The only thing we're going to talk about today with Final Fan, uh, with uh, E3 stuff is I am going to go over the Final Fantasy VII remake that they showed. They they showed a trailer for it last, well, two nights ago after a concert, and then last night they showed the full trailer at Square Enix's press conference. We did stream live on Twitch, and we'll have that video going up sometime. You can watch us react to it in real time. But uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that because there's a lot of strange things going on with how they're presenting the game, and I'm going to hopefully cut through all the craziness and try to let you know what's actually happening, what's actually coming out. Um, but uh, but we have three stories. Otherwise, we're talking about, and this one is, this one's going to, I think this one's going to get people like really disagreeing with me. But we have um, a prolific E3 leaker reportedly receives a cease and desist from Nintendo. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about Exceed which is a publisher of Japanese RPGs. It's like a U.S. studio, like they localize in, in bringing oddities from Japan to the U.S. and how they're leaving people out of the game's credits at the end of the game. And then, like I said, we're going to finish with... Um, we're going to finish with the Final Fantasy VII remake um so let me see here well i wanted to look at something but of course i, I love I, I just gotta i'm gonna mini rant about this while i get it up so uh <laughs> the uh the certain websites that don't allow you to watch them unless you turn off an ad blocker you just 100 percent locked in the fact that i'll never go to your site if you do that now if you want to have your stupid message pop up that says you know, it even tries to guilt me by saying I'm going to, I'd like to continue without ads and I click it and that's fine. But the whole, like you cannot access our site with ads up. Okay. There's only about a million other websites to do the exact same thing as you. So, uh, sorry, not sorry. And, and, and that's one of those like, Oh, you're going to force me and, and, and make me put me into a really abrasive situation. No, thanks. You know, I don't bitch about people using ad blocker on YouTube. Don't get any revenue. Who cares? Not that I make that much money anyway, but it's just, it, I, I don't, I, I just find that so obnoxious, you know, if, if your whole revenue stream comes from ads on the internet, then you got problems anyway. <laughs> so let's just, let's just start there. Um, I want to see, so I'm all, I'm bringing up the tweets from the Nintendo leaker because, uh, there was some weird stuff when they were talking about what Nintendo did and, 
I'm trying to find because I have his original tweet here. Um, I've verified this with many people. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm just trying because there was a part where they, he talks about the story about like, um, buh, 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 buh. um, where is no? I can't click. I can't. Sorry, I can't go to that site. Banners. It's fine. Okay. Anyway, it's fine. I, I read the story so I can just kind of pass along. So anyway, uh, we're gonna begin. I also have my game of the week picked out. I have my pickup pile, which is but one game but it's a monster and then i have a user question as well and uh all right so we're, we're gonna begin so first up on the podcast today we're gonna be talking about nintendo uh, sending a cease and desist letter to a prolific as this title says e3 leaker so i'm reading this on destructoid this is a uh, chris moy's this came. This article came out yesterday. So here, here we go. Angry Mario lawyers up. With each passing year, more and more of E3's content appears to wind up online ahead of the game, with the annual video game conference finding it harder and harder to patch up its increasingly leaky hull in this social media-driven age. But it appears that Nintendo has had about all that can stand as the big N has reportedly sent one of the year's most prolific leakers an official cease and desist order threatening legal action should the publisher's upcoming Nintendo Direct content mysteriously service on Twitter ahead of time. The leaker in question is user Sabi, also known as Polar Panda, who has so far succeeded in dropping some E3 scoops a little ahead of time, including Ghostwire Tokyo, new Fallout 76 content, and even Keanu Reeves' guest appearance. But it appears that the House of Mario is eager to put a stop to such actions. Quote, I have been given a cease and desist from a lawyer representing Nintendo. They have my full name and everything. This means I'm not allowed to post any private trade secrets from Nintendo Co. Limited. Uh, to have, and then the article goes on to say, to have investigated deeply enough to uncover the person behind the online pseudonym, it seems clear that Nintendo aren't playing around. It will be interesting to see if this sets a precedent from other industry bigwigs going forward. So I think what I say here is probably not going to be very popular. <laughs> and I don't think this is what most people are going to agree with. I actually am really bothered by this. I, I think that, oops, I think that Nintendo being able to send a cease and desist letter about someone sharing information is not good. And, and I know initially there are things like NDAs, you have things you sign that say you can't share information or you'll get sued. I understand that. If you're an employee of Nintendo and you're revealing trade secrets, that's different. And so I will say that if if Sabi uh, is a person who works at Nintendo or works maybe um, or, or obtain the information illegally, perhaps breached Nintendo servers, anything breaking the law to get the information, I would 100% agree with. He should not be doing that. And and I'm not a fan of leaks. Like, like for the record, I, I, I don't... I don't think it's cool to hear everything early, but of course I'm not out there looking for it, so I don't typically have to worry about it, but I'm not saying I'm a big fan of leakers, but I think the precedent that it sets is that companies can sue people for revealing information that they found out. Now, again, if 
once again, I will state, if he received this information illegally, say he hacked Nintendo servers or he's got a backdoor into some developer forum and he's able to see things that he's not supposed to see, it's different. But, and again, I don't know how he's getting this information. Maybe maybe this person works as an IT firm for, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I don't like the idea. And, and first of all, well, we'll talk about that. But I don't like the idea of a cease and desist letter to stop someone. It's almost like... What if Sabi, couldn't he, what if he considered himself a journalist? Would they, would he not be able to, or she not be able to release this information under, under, under that being, you know, being a journalist? Um, and again, I don't think they are. And I, and I don't know how they're getting the leaks. And so I don't want to say that Nintendo's all evil or anything here. I'm not trying to say that, but let's look at a couple of things that are a little strange. So first of all, they were able to find, the lawyer was able to get all of their personal information after knowing them through Twitter. That's that's pretty bothersome. <laughs> now, again, if he did something illegal and the government had to go find him, but the fact that just Nintendo's lawyers could find this person, I find that a little troubling. I, I find it a little troubling. It's a, it's a little troubling. Uh, and again, I feel like... So, so let's say this is the precedent set. Let's say next year I'm at a bar before E3... And I hear two people from Ubisoft um, talking about a new game that they're not supposed to be talking about, and I overhear it. Well, if I tweet that out, am I revealing, as Nintendo puts it, trade secrets of that company? Right? So could I get in trouble because I was in the right place at the right time to get the information? Now, again, this person, <laughs> this person knows a lot. And so this isn't just someone overhearing somebody at a bar. I understand that. And I'm not trying to make the argument that this person did nothing wrong. So please don't like don't come at me with that. If you want to come at me with something and say, you know, you don't agree with my stance, it's fine, but don't come at me with like that. I understand that this person is just somebody, you know, somebody who does this a lot. So they have some means of getting this information. You know, I think what Nintendo's lawyers should be doing is figuring that out first. And I think we also have to look at why E3 leaks so much. And I've been thinking a lot about this. And I actually thought about doing a separate video just on why so many things leak. But there, there's really, I'll just cover it here. There, there's really a few interesting things about why. One, the developers and publishers want to have instant access to pre-order and purchase their games once they're announced. And that makes sense, right? Because the average consumer, after watching a trailer for a game, they're going to say something like, I really want this game now. I want to go pre-order it now. So to do all that stuff, it'll also be set up in advance. You have to have your website set up, but not live. You have to have, uh, you know, you have to have Amazon SKU set up, but not live. You have to have Best Buy, GameStop. And the more people in on a secret, the lesser chance there is that it stays a secret. And that's just kind of how it works. So that's the first thing, is the instant you know, wanting everything to be set up perfectly or stuff like we're going to, you know, we want this trailer to hit YouTube the second after we announce it. Well, someone uploads it to YouTube and forgets to hit private. Somebody sees it, records it. It gets moved back to private. Someone already recorded the video. Namco Bantai had a huge leak right before E3 announcing a ton of their stuff. And it sucks because, you know, I definitely get the, uh, the angle where uh, these developers and these people work really hard to keep this a secret. People probably knew about this stuff for six to eight months to a year or two, and they're holding on to this secret forever. It's hard to do that. And these people then had it spoiled anyway. Uh, but the more people you let in on a secret, the higher chance you're going to have of it being detected anyway. So there's that. 
And I think you also, though, uh, and that's on the developer-publisher side, but on the consumer side, you have this, like, unbelievable want to know things early. Like, you just want you want the information as fast as possible. Even people who say they don't like spoilers, everybody loves knowing something before somebody else or being in on something before somebody else. So we do kind of crave this information. And, and because it's about the hobby we love, and then there's nothing wrong with that either, but that's also why things are going to leak is because you have people searching for that and since so many fans want to read it there's like this pseudo celebrity sort of thing that goes along with these leakers right so people will follow them and and it gives you a certain amount of street cred right if you are accurate about certain leaks and so people want to engage with you and they want to talk to you they want to follow you on twitter if you're constantly leaking things so i guess i'm still kind of in the middle which i know is not normally where i sit on things like this but i don't like leaks i wish that they could keep it tighter but it's also something that's like that's in this day and age we live in it's very difficult to do that and so maybe their expectation of a secret reveal shouldn't be a secret anymore i mean and that's just to save the headache and the hassle right because realistically it's so hard to keep anything secret and they do i mean the key, i mean and obviously i'll tell you so this person apparently uh dropped the Keanu Reeves appearance I didn't hear that anywhere I didn't see that anywhere so that was surprising to me and and so there were I I always get surprised by things even though I'm constantly in the in the cycle of you know reading on news articles and things but I also if I you know I, I don't know I guess I'm just not in the the leakers circle where I'm always looking for every little hint of every little game because to find these things out you weren't running into these rumors on your traditional blogs and your gaming sites to find things like this. You're, you're digging deep into, you know, reset era forums, 4chan for like, like that's where a lot of this stuff is popping up. And a lot of times and Reddit and people don't even typically believe them at first, you know, most of the time they're so ridiculous, but no one believes them. And then it ends up being true. Um, one of the first ones, one of the first cases of that was fallout uh, 76 that that leaked like a year earlier that it was set in this spot it was it was an online game multiplayer and people were like you're nuts like the things you're saying right now leaker are inaccurate and they end up being wholly accurate so i guess in to to sum it all up i'm not a big fan of leakers i don't think anything that's being done illegal to illegally to obtain this information that should be handled through the law and they should go to jail for that. They should get in trouble for that. Um, but again, like I said, it gets a little a little squeaky when you start talking about... Because even a journalist, right? Even a journalist, if they break into a place and steal information that report on it, they're not protected by that. They're only protected if perhaps somebody else gets the information and passes it to them. So if this person is here and... If this person's here and they're given that information by somebody else who might be breaking the law, but he's a journalist. Like that would be okay uh, to report on that. Um, I don't know. I'm a little torn. I'm I'm torn on it because I also do appreciate the developers and publishers wanting to put on a good show. And part of that good show, you know, I talked about it in the intro to the podcast. Part of that good show is surprises. People like the, the gaming community wants to be surprised and they want these amazing surprises. If there's not surprises, right? They're disappointed. Well, how do they how can they surprise anybody anymore when those same people are digging around for all their secrets before the show starts? Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's definitely um kind of a, a catch in the middle. Um but uh it was still an interesting story though that Nintendo and again, this I think is what bothered me the most about it was just seeing how far they went to find somebody. I guess it also shows you're never really truly 
immune to anything on the internet and people who want to find you will probably find you. All right, so next up on the podcast today, we're going to talk about Exceed. Exceed is a U.S. publisher of strange, rare Japanese games. They kind of filled the void back in the day from uh, that was left by Working Designs and other companies similar where they just find... Uh, you know, they find these games that probably weren't going to get translated and brought over, and they do the work to translate, bring them over, and then publish them here in the States for us. So that's a good thing, right? That That's great. We're getting to play possibly a lot of Japanese games we may not have gotten because other companies wouldn't take a chance on them. So nothing wrong with that. That's good. Uh, however, this article I'm reading, this is on Kotaku from Zach Zwiezen. This was put up actually Saturday. This all kind of started rocking. Um, so this is the article. JRPG publisher removes producer from New Games credits because she left the company. Here's the article. Brittany Avery worked at Exceed, a U.S. studio that specialized in localizing and publishing JRPGs for seven years as a localization producer and then left the company. Recently, she discovered that her name had been removed from the credits on a game she worked on. In response to the controversy, Exceed revealed a policy that caused instant backlash from developers and players. Yesterday on Twitter, Avery revealed the news that her name had been removed from the credits in a port of a game she worked on called The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel. So here's the tweet from Brittany Avery. Quote, oh, LOL. The PS4 ending credits for Cold Steel 1 were updated, so my name isn't in them. So I'm guessing it's the same for Cold Steel 2 as well. End quote. Fans of her work and the games she helped translate immediately responded, calling out Exceed on Twitter. Eventually, this backlash grew large enough to prompt the company to respond. For some reason, they decided to respond in the worst possible way ever with the reveal of a policy that only current staff members are credited. So here's what Exceed tweeted out. We appreciate the hard work of everyone who contributes to our releases, but it is and always has been company policy that only current members of our staff are credited. We have never credited staff for their individual roles or if they have left the company. They go on to say, according to this tweet, Exceed never credits developers after they leave the company, choosing instead to only credit people who are at the company when a game launches. This tweet caused an even bigger backlash, this time with many developers responding. Uh, quote, your company policy is crediting... Uh, wait, your company policy for crediting is and had been pretty bad then, and you should probably change it for the future, said Rami Ishmael, developer of popular indie titles games like Ridiculous Fishing and Nuclear Throne. Quote, you should have a meeting on Monday about this, tweeted Nick Chester of Epic Games, the studio behind Fortnite and, and others. Uh, the story goes on to say, this policy is terrible and erases the hard work of people who might have spent years on a game, and simply because they leave before the game is shipped... All that work is left uncredited. Exceed isn't alone in not properly crediting folks who leave or who are let go during development. Rockstar Games has also come under fire for seemingly similar policies. Video game workers begin able, or excuse me, being able to create and join a union would help kill this practice and provide them with healthier work environments and better pay. Exceed didn't respond before publishing. This post will be updated if they do. Okay, so that's the article. Uh, I'm not going to get into the... I'm not going to get into the union thing at the end because I'm, I'm kind of sick of the <laughs> writers just like throwing that in there at the end. Like, it's not that easy to unionize. So like, just, just being like, see if you unionize it's, they act like it's such a, like it's a throwaway thing. Like this is so easy. So I want to focus on Xseed games tweet first because they say two things in here. One, they say it is, and always has been our company policy that only current members of our staff are credited and we never credit staff for their individual roles. So those are two things. And I know that was initial complaint was that 
people who had chimed in on the tweets had said things like, well, you know, I did this for that company and I was listed under special help or something like that. Um, so one, that's the policy is that they never credit individual roles and that they don't give you credit if you leave the company. And I have to say, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty much with the developers and the fans on this one. I, I really don't understand why you wouldn't credit somebody. The only thing I could think of is if they have some sort of bonuses tied to it or some sort of residuals that are tied to it, where if they're in the final like role at the time they get like in their contract, if it said, you know, you get X amount percentage of sales of games you're credited in. But if that were the case, you would think that people like this could just go to court over that because it's not like they're erasing the work that that person did. They're just taking their name off of the work that they did. And so I, I don't like it. I think it's a bad policy. I think it's one of those things that it makes it can show you the difference between a good company that cares about its employees and a bad company. And it's one of those things that is very mm, like it could just make your company better just to do it still. Like it's not, it's not anything I don't think that matters. It doesn't cost anything. What it seems like to me and, and uh, it, it seems like maybe whoever the, the head of this company is just takes people leaving very personally. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was something as simple as look, if you don't want to be a part of our company, then you don't get credit on our releases. And so I guess that's fine if that's their policy, but I personally wouldn't do that. If I ran a game studio anybody who worked on my project would be credited for their work and they would be credited individually. I think, you know, it sounds stupid, but if someone's an intern and all they do is get coffee and make copies, put down that they were an intern. You know, if somebody did level design and, you know, uh, did some art design, put them under both. Like who cares? Like, look at, have you ever seen the credits of a movie? I mean, like there, there's just like, there's hundreds and thousands of these things. And so I don't see what's so difficult about that. I don't think it's difficult at all. I think it's something that's pretty obvious that should be done. And it's just the simplest thing you can do is give people credit for their work. It's my, my employees. It's so easy to say thank you for, for someone who works hard for you. It's so easy to show them that you appreciate them. It's like the easiest thing you can do as a boss. And it's one of the most important things to keep your employees happy and doing good work. Just show them that you appreciate them. And, and what I don't like about this too, is this burns bridges in the future. Now, I would assume if she worked there as long as she did, though, she worked there for, what did she say, like, was it, uh, I thought she said, was it multiple, it must have been a bunch of years, because she worked on before the port, so she worked there for a while, and she should have known the policy existed, because you would think that she would have heard that other people complain about that, or, or would have known, um, especially being the localization producer, like, wouldn't you be in charge of, you know, having to localize, like, the names that go into that, Um but possibly not. It, it's possible not. So it's it's frustrating. I, I can understand people's frustration with that. And I th so credit them, credit their individual roles, appreciate them. And this th that's where I was going with that. And this this could be burning a future bridge. How do you know that Brittany Avery wouldn't possibly one day come back to your company to maybe work on the third or fourth series or a whole new game for you? And but now won't because they feel slighted by something so stupid as just not putting their name in the credits. That feels very petty to me. I, I don't see like why that would make any difference. And if that's your policy, it's so easy to change it. You know, but again, it feels like somebody very high up takes people leaving personally. It reminds me of when Kojima left Konami and there was a lot of weird stuff there where Konami said things like, if you leave and go work for him, you don't get your bonus paid off of this. You, you like they were, they, I think Konami's another company that was taking 
credit out if you left the studio. I mean, look what they did to Kojima himself. Like, they took his name off of the box <laughs> and off the promotional materials. It was, you know, Metal Gear Solid 5, a Hideo Kojima game. And then, it, like, the new art came in and it was just Metal Gear Solid 5. And, like, they were removing, they removed it from the box art and from the promotional posters and stuff. So, yeah, uh, I think that's a really easy fix. It's a bad policy and they should change it. I, it just seems silly to me in this day and age to not give people credit for the work that they do. All right, so finally, I want to talk Final Fantasy VII Remake. I, uh, I'm i very happy about it. Uh, first of all, I want to say, but I am concerned about a few things. So that's what this video is going to be about. This isn't like a, holy crap, everything's amazing about it. Uh, but it's also not a doom and gloom. But there are some things I think are legitimate concerns that I think we need to talk about. And so we're going to do that. First of all... Um, Last night at the Square Enix conference, they showed an extended trailer. They went into gameplay, and they showed how the combat system works. Um, one of my earliest concerns about the game was the combat system. I was concerned that... I was concerned that the real-time combat would play more like Final Fantasy XV, and that I wouldn't like it. After watching the combat last night, it looks more action than that. It doesn't look like you're going to get auto-hit by things like in 15 and it's still not like a calculation of odds to hit you. It looks almost all action. Like you can block, you can dodge roll and uh, there's barriers in the levels that you can hide behind to dodge attacks and stuff like that. So I, I am convinced on the combat. I would have liked to have an all turn-based mode, which they might add later. You know, you, I could see that where every time you go into combat, it just freezes combat and you pick and then you may, your character would still run around, do whatever. Um, so I am disappointed that I would have loved to have there just be a switch you could flip and be like, hey, this game is now completely turn-based combat. But the action combat does look good, and I am a fan of action games. I like my God of Wars, Devil May Cries, and, and, and the like. So I have no problem with it. I think it'll be fun. Uh, the combat looked, it did look really good. And obviously the, the music's been remixed and it's, it's good. The, the graphics, I mean, they look incredible. I mean, I think this game's going to be amazing. I really do. But here's what concerns me about Final Fantasy VII Remake. First of all, calling it Final Fantasy VII Remake is just like... <laughs> is that? I really hope that's not the final name, but I think it is. Because it seems to be all over the market materials now. But, like, why would you call it that? Like, I would, I would just call it, like, Final Fantasy VII, you know, and then a subtitle that leads everyone to know. Because it, it is a remake, but it's... Like, that's a little on the nose, isn't it? So anyway, but I'm not going to complain about the name. Um, they... they let out a few details slip. Now, we had known for a while that Final Fantasy VII, they had said this a while back, that it was going to be episodic. And we still hadn't heard anything else about it, though, because they have a release date of March 3rd. They didn't say anything about Part 1 coming March 3rd. They have, uh, you can buy the game. There's a regular, a deluxe, and a collector's edition. The collector's edition is $330. It comes with Cloud um, on its motorcycle, which is incredible. It looks awesome. The deluxe one's like 80 bucks, and then there's the regular $60 one. So it's a $60 game. But there were some weird hints that came out during the trailer last night from Square Enix. One of them was that they had mentioned that Midgar was such a huge part of the game that they could expand upon that. And it almost, like, the Midgar section of Final Fantasy VII almost felt like a game in its own. So little hints like that lead you to believe that the first part of Final Fantasy VII, if it is released episodic, is going to be all of Midgar, which which I want to say, I mean, I know it sounds really dumb, but I swear the first time I played Final Fantasy VII, I thought I spent 30 hours in Midgar. 
But I don't think that's accurate. But I feel like that, that in my head, that's what I remember. But I don't think that's accurate. But it could have been because I probably would have been running around just really enjoying that part of the game. But that that's, you know, so I remember I remember when I finally got outside of Midgar, like I just remember how I couldn't believe there was more to the game. Like I do remember that feeling. And, and I'm not like a Final Fantasy VII remake apologist here if it's still something we don't like. But I'm just trying to lay the groundwork that if, the, and they've talked, and the, they talked about last night about they wanted to expand everything in Midgar. So if they do all that and Final Fantasy VII Part One is Midgar, I'm okay with that. Like, like I think that's a good place to break it up. There's if if there's two parts, that's Part One, and the rest is Part Two. I could see that. I think if you try to put the other parts into two, if they try to do three parts, I I, I feel like three is the maximum. If they try to do anything more than three, it's gonna be bad. Um, now here's my concern. A story came out late, late last night from GameSpot and GameSpot had mentioned that for sure they already know that Final Fantasy VII Remake is on two discs. So there's only one other two disc game that's ever been made on Blu-ray and that is Red Dead Redemption 2. So if it's two disc, it tells you there's a lot of data on there. I mean, if, if you have to install a ton and there's a whole bunch of extra stuff, two discs is that that's huge. But my concern though is that disc the discs will just be through Midgar. So if you won't be able to get a full Final Fantasy VII remake complete on disc, unless they release one later, like Final Fantasy VII Ultimate or something, down the road after all the parts have released. But here's my concerns. One, it's a two-disc game that they're going to sell you the extra stuff as DLC. So you're going to get Episode 2 or Part 2 and have to pay more money for that. I don't believe it's going to come for free which means we're paying $60 for the, the first part of the remake and upwards of maybe $20 or $30 for the second and third parts. What if they actually make Final Fantasy 7 2? 7 2. That's not that far-fetched, right? They did 10 2. What if they do Final Fantasy 7 2 and then they sell that for $60? bucks? i am a little, I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying that's, I'm nervous a little bit about it. And, and so I have to, I ha- I'm a little nervous about it. That's all I'm going to say. So... That's a possibility. Or worst case scenario, you get Final Fantasy VII, only the first part of the game is on the disc, and then the rest is something you have to wait. Like, you have to wait for then you have to download, and if they never release that all together on disc, you have to download all the expansions, then that's not a complete game. And, and I don't like that. And, and I didn't, I don't like that when other games do that too, where the, you know, it's like you get, it's, it's like um, the Minecraft story mode when you bought it and got disc one or episode one and the other ones you had to download later, like you get them, you get access to them. And that's the best case scenario. I think for Final Fantasy seven is that the later versions will still be free. You're just plunking all the money down right away for the first part. And then you'll get the second part for free, but we definitely have to wait and see and get more info. But those are my concerns with it. The actual game itself. I have pretty much no concerns with, I think the game's going to be incredible, but the marketing side, I mean, we know square to be a little weird lately and off lately with things like this. And so I'm just hoping that they don't try to milk us hard on a game that they know we're all very nostalgic for. And that, that is a legit concern of mine. I just don't want this this weird you buy it and then you have to buy the game again or you have to buy part two again that's my concern i don't know i I don't know yet and so i'm not i'm not all doom and gloom believe me i was just saying earlier in the podcast how like everyone's complaining about e3 already and it hasn't even it hadn't even technically started yesterday but i think it's fair to be cautiously optimistic and i think that's where i'm sitting right now with final fantasy 7 remake I mean, I'm going to buy it. I already did. I bought the $330 collector's edition, of course. But that doesn't mean I'm still not concerned about it. And I 
think I'm justified in that. And so we'll see. But the game itself, I think will be fun. I think it'll look good. It'll sound good. It'll be incredible. But that's my concerns. Um, how is it going to be released? It's a two disc game expanding it to Midgar. Are we going to get the other expansions for free? Do we have to pay for them later? And, and how much later are they going to come? Let's say that it's going to break it up into, let's just hypothetically, let's say they break it up into three pieces. Piece one, you get for 60 bucks. Maybe piece two, they decide to sell for 20 bucks. What if part two doesn't sell as well? Or maybe, maybe the Final Fantasy seven remake comes out and it gets sevens out of 10. I don't really think that's possible, but let's just say it happens. What if they never finish the third part? What if Square Enix runs into financial trouble over the next two years and they don't have the money to put into it? What if we never get it finished? That's the only problem. And it's not, I understand Square Enix is big. They've been around for a while, but this isn't unheard of. Look at The Walking Dead and Telltale Games. Like that studio went under and they almost didn't get that final episode out. They had to, you know, the another company to pick it up and finish it. And so these are all legitimate concerns when this is the kind of way that you deal with these games. Um, so I'm hoping that none of that happens. I hope that the game on the disc and then later they release a download so I can play it. And then I hope when it's all said and done and released, they release an ultimate super collector's mega edition. Maybe it's even on three discs. I'll pay extra money for it again just to have everything complete on disc. I think that would be amazing. And that's what I'm hoping for, but I think it's fair. I need to know more information about this one. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm a little worried. All right, and that is the news part of the podcast for today. Um, so let me just take a look. I got to uh, check my messages, make sure I didn't have any other user questions come flying in. So uh, let's talk about the user question because this one's this one's kind of in-depth, and I, I want to make sure that I understand it. So I'm going to read it as it's written, and then I'm going to go through it. So here's the question. What do you think the new features on the next generation of consoles will make or break their launch success? Do you think with all the streaming announcements going on between the different gaming companies, are they jumping the gun on infrastructure for being able to reach out to all their players with internet connectivity being accessible in their homes? Do you think they're betting on 5G bridging the gap? So there's really three questions there. The first one is, what do you think about the new features? I'll, I'll, maybe, maybe I'll save this next one for next week. But I'll do this first part. What do you think the new features on the next generation of consoles will make or break their launch success? Uh, I would say backwards compatibility is going to make PlayStation, uh, at least, will make or break them just because they'll have a solid launch lineup because of the late-life PS4 games that are coming. So you've got Ghost of Tsushima... Death Stranding, which technically will probably still be a year before the PS5, but Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us 2, these are all games that are essentially going to be available to play on that system at launch. When we all know that launch titles typically aren't the best showing, that's just not just not how it works. And so I think that, that I mean, make or break, that's probably unfair. I, I think it's important that it's successful, but make or break, I mean, maybe. Um, you could argue that the streaming for Microsoft and Sony is make or break. I think we're going to see a lot of that from Sony more doubling down on PlayStation now and their streaming services. Uh, since that's the talk of the town, that's the direction everyone's going. So I, I don't know. Are they make or break though? I don't think there's anything that's make or break because really what it comes down to is having the best games. And right now Sony's in a good position to have the best games. Um, but there's not really any feature that makes or breaks a system. I mean, you could argue little things like, again, the Xbox interface I complained about earlier. You could argue that, you know, the interface is important for a good user experience. And you could argue that the games are there for a good user experience. 
So there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I I don't think any of that makes or breaks a system. I think the, a system's life is, is very long. And more what affects that is you know, anti-consumer policies, like, like when Xbox dropped the ball with trying to say they're always connected and, and all your games can't be sold used and all that sort of weird stuff that, that sunk them in a hole that they never climbed out of. Uh, Sony right out the gate came out swinging and was like, you know what? You can trade games, you can sell games, you can lend games to your friend. You don't have to be hooked up to the internet. Here you go. And, uh, so with that all said, uh, I think that's more important, like the, the direction that they're going more so than a specific policy or, or feature. Um, but I also think part of, a, of our, you know, of our, uh, society now is that people want to be more connected. And so I think you're going to have to see a lot of social media integration in these consoles, which I think PlayStation did a great job of, uh, with the, how easy it is to share and upload to YouTube and how easy it was to stream to Twitch and to YouTube. Like PlayStation did that very well. Um, Xbox on the other hand did not. Uh, then they bought Mixer, and then they integrated Mixer, but then they had things like you, the only camera you can use on the Xbox One is the Kinect camera, and then when they made the S model, they didn't put the Kinect camera adapter on the back, so you had to buy it. It's, it's just a mess, you know? So I think that's a part of it, too, uh, is having some sort of social aspect to it. That'll be important. And then, uh, you know, always the oddball. Like, there's that rumor that maybe PlayStation would offer some sort of backwards compatibility on all their games, PS1, PS2, PS3 and PS4. First, I have to say it's never going to play PS3 games. Like, we have to get that out of our head. Um, now, they could integrate that into the PlayStation Now streaming service, of course. Um, but we're not going to see PlayStation 3 games natively running on the PS4 because the hardware is so different. Or even the PS5. Um, my high-end PC has a hard time running PlayStation emulators. And not that it can't be specifically targeted to work with certain games, but it's it's that broad working with everything. And if you have an emulator that only plays five PS3 games, then it's kind of pointless. And so we have to put PS3 out of there. But PS1 and PS2 games should absolutely work on a PS4 or 5. So how cool would that be? All PS1 and PS2 games are available to pop your disc in and play on your PS5. That would be That, to me, would be a very, very big deal. Because nostalgia is hot right now. And people want to play old games. And if they can play them all on one piece of new hardware i think they will so i could see that being a big deal um uh as as it pertains to you know make or break but a lot of these services may not be available at launch anyway but i think the most important one is going to be the streaming services and how smooth the the interface is because part of the problem with with all of this is that if you come if, if you only have what do they say you only have one chance to make a first impression so if you don't make a good first impression, people may never adopt that service. And Microsoft came out with a great first impression of their ultimate Xbox Live Game Pass package because they, they let people buy it for a dollar. <laughs> so they had a great showing with that. It's cheap enough. People are going to try it, of course. So if Sony comes out with PlayStation Now and the servers suck and the game list sucks, then people may never adopt it. And I think that's partly why you don't hear a lot about PlayStation Now currently is because PlayStation Now is only really there for streaming PS3 games, which it was a neat way of doing backwards compatibility on the PS4 since natively the hardware couldn't run it, but it wasn't perfect. And so PlayStation will really have to, I don't even know, they might even want to rebrand it and like, you know, like even call it like PlayStation streaming or something like that. And then it's just, boom, put all of that in there. And they could even integrate that with their PlayStation View, which is their TV streaming service. You could have that, imagine having that where you could play a game 
back out in the menu, like not in, not out of the program, back out of the, the that game and go watch a movie, then go back to the game. Maybe you would even save your spot in the game, like right there. Wouldn't that be wild? So there's some cool stuff they could come out, I think, with streaming, but we'll have to we'll have to see where they go. Um, all right, so uh, the what do I usually do? Do I usually do the pickup pile of the week or do I do the game of the week? I feel like I do the pickup pile of the week first. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so like I said, uh, my pickup pile of the week is but one game, but it is a monster. If you follow me on Twitter, you already know, but the game that I finally put into my collection last Friday was a complete in-box copy. I would say probably 8 out of 10 condition Little Samson. <laughs> so if you don't, if you know anything about retro game collecting, you know Little Samson is right up there as probably the second most expensive game behind stadium events as far as like officially released. Um, then, uh, you know, it was one that I've always wanted and the game itself is actually really good. I didn't want it just because it's rare. The game itself is fun. So a little backstory about this one. So the I had I, this copy I actually had come through the store about six months ago. And so also, if you had followed my story, you know that I had one of these in the store for about twenty eight hundred dollars. So uh, a, a friend of mine, Mike, came in and bought the game and we came to a deal of like twenty seven hundred and I paid originally $2,400 for the game, which is why I thought so, like, I had to sell it. I just couldn't justify paying that much money for, like, one game, you know? And so I I thought about it, and I, I let it go. You know, I could have taken it home and been, like, content with that, but I, t but I, I left it in the store and I sold it. Never stopped thinking about it, though. <laughs> I, I kept going back to it, like, I really want this game. And I really wish I had gotten it. And I was at Midwest Gaming Classic, and there were people there selling it for 3000 and the boxes were just beat to shit you know and i was like ugh, it's just not good and so uh so i i kept thinking about it every now and then i would look online whatever so i'm talking to mike in the store a couple weeks ago and he says hey i i found a mint in box little samson that i bought to upgrade my copy and he said and i'm thinking about getting rid of this little samson and of course it was just perfect timing because i'd been thinking about it and i said well hey I would like to buy it from you if, if you want to sell it to me. I said, not not to sell in the store, but I'll buy it from you as like your friend and as a person who wants to own the game again. And so we agreed on a price. Uh, I don't mind sharing it. It's just, it's it wasn't a deal. And normally the way that I work is when I buy games, I buy them for a lot cheaper than I think they're worth because I'm going to resell them and I have to make money for the store. Well, since this was for my personal collection, this was for myself, I paid a little more. Um, than I normally would have, like if I was just going to resell it. But I guess it's actually not even true because this game is a weird valued game. Like this game, you see it go between $2,000 and $3,000, depending on condition. Um, you know, so I would say this one's probably this, I would probably have put it at the same price I put the last one at, like $2,800 and then let, let or $2,900 and then let someone negotiate from there. Um, but I ended up paying $2,000 for it. So I know if you're thinking like, well, if it's worth three thousand, you pay two thousand. That's a great deal. Well, like I said, it goes between two thousand and three thousand. So I'm at the low end of the spectrum there, but still on it, you know. And it's it's not. I didn't get it for ten bucks at a rummage sale or something, you know. So that that would have been excellent. That made me very happy. But that's okay. And and Mike wanted to get rid of it, and he upgraded his copy to a nicer one. I'm happy with this one. This was, and now I have the story. Of this one because this is the one that originally came through my store, and I think part of the fun of collecting is the story 
I, I really believe that. So like, I have a fun story about this game. It came through my store. The customer didn't sell it, brought it back a year later, did sell it. I sold it to someone else. Then that person sold it back to me. So it, it came, it came home for a few times, but uh, now it's in its permanent home where I'll be happy with it forever. And that's not saying that if I don't see a, a mint little Samson pop up that I wouldn't buy that because I probably would. And then maybe upgrade this one. Um, but like I said, it's an eight out of 10. It's solid. There's no crushing in the box. Like it's, it's pretty good. It's not mint Greg quality, but it's, it's, it's up there. It's pretty good. And then, uh, so then lastly, moving on to our game of the week, I'm going to talk about this one because I actually am playing this one right now. And I don't know why. Originally, I was going to play Dragon Warrior. I wanted to play Dragon Warrior. And it's a game that Jenny's nostalgic for. So I was going to play it and she was going to watch me play it and it was going to be a lot of fun. And so I pulled out my mint and box Dragon Warrior, pull out the mint cart, pop it in my my AVS and it won't read. <laughs> like the game just doesn't work. It's total garbage. So I got to figure out what's going on with that. Probably deep clean it and see what's going on. But so then I picked up Dragon Warrior 2 and I thought, well, let's just start with the second one anyway. I've heard it's a lot better. You actually get party members in this game, unlike the first one you just play as yourself. So I started playing it. I'm probably about 10 hours in, 10 or 12 hours in. This game is pretty good. I actually like this. I'm going to finish it. It's just an old school RPG, though. And it's it's hard and it's unforgiving. It is interesting, though, if you die, you don't have to start over, which a lot of RPGs did. You don't have to start over. But when you die, you lose half your money and it puts you in town with like your party members dead, which you have to pay money to revive them. And then you have to go to the inn and like it, it costs a lot of money to die. Let's just say that it just costs a lot of money to die. So don't die. Um, and uh, so I, uh, I have all three party members currently. I'm probably if I had to guess about halfway through the game, maybe. Um, but right now I'm in a spot like there's some stuff in this game that I just don't know how you'd figure it out. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know how you would figure this out without like a hint book, which they did include like a hint book with the game or like a little mini strategy guide because it's like impossible. And I've, I've been looking at maps online and I don't like to do that normally, but sometimes you take two steps in this game, you get into a combat and it's just nonstop combat all the time. And it's like, I just don't know where I'm going. So when you're wandering around lost and you're getting into combat every two to five steps, it's just, it's like breaking my brain. So, uh, so I, I was looking up some maps online and, you know, using my hint book that I got with it but it's pretty good if you like old school like that's that's famicom slash nes rpgs like it's good i actually like it a lot you'll need the internet or the hint book to help you because there's some stuff like you have to find this mirror and then use it on a dog to you know release the third player character and like you wouldn't know where to find that mirror i don't know how the hell you'd find that unless you talk to somebody in some town and they say something about a swamp but i don't know how you'd ever find it i don't know on what planet anyone would ever find that but uh but yeah, so uh, Dragon Warrior 2 is our game of the week. I'm playing it right now. I'm definitely going to go right into the third one after this, probably maybe the fourth one. Um, it's more entertaining than any of the modern stuff that's out right now. I haven't really been, nothing's been, you know, turning my crank. So it's just really wanted to dig into something and to find something retro is a lot of fun. And I moved it into the living room and I've been playing it out there and Jenny's watched me while she's playing Okami. And so she's working on that. I'm working on this. It's just great. It's a great time. So um, Dragon Warrior 2. It's a lot of fun if you like really slow, hard, annoyingly vague RPGs. <laughs> um, all right. Well, with that said, that is the podcast for today. Thank you, everybody, as always, for listening and watching. I so, so, so appreciate it. Um, I'm going to take a quick look right now because we are so close to 5,000 YouTube subs. We are at 4966. So we're going to hit that probably in like a week or two we'll hit 5,000. That's a really big deal for me. That's, you know, I've been talking about that on the podcast for the last couple months. I think once you get to 5,000, you really start to show up more in searches. 
um, you know, Nintendo, uh, YouTube has certain algorithms that, uh, that, uh, when you get to certain milestones as a channel, you start to just show up more randomly. So I'm hoping that this all works. You know, Jordan and I have been, and, and Jeremy and I have been working really, really hard on this for the last two years. And, um, you know, and the, the, this is the slow grind though. Like it takes years to get there. So you can't, and, and it compounds like as you get more subs and views or as you get more views and subs, yeah, you get, it, it incrementally goes up that you get more subs and more views and it keeps going up as long as you keep making quality content, which I think we do. And I think we have quite the broad variety, you know, Jordan, while he's playing some of these crazy off the wall games, you may never have heard of, I'm doing some new stuff like this, but I'm also trying to stream some modern stuff like Mordha. I got Jeremy playing apex every Tuesday. And, and so, um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunity out there, I think. And so I'm really proud of that. If you haven't subscribed to us, though, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes, if you can, go to youtube.com slash drop rate. That's where you can sub to our YouTube channel. That would make my day. It would make me really happy. Uh, also, if you want to follow us on Twitch, and, of course, subscribe. But if you just want to follow us on Twitch, we're twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Uh, every Monday night we do a, a podcast, like a live podcast there, and then Jeremy usually streams on Tuesdays, and I usually stream on Thursday nights. But it's been... I don't know. The last two months, I feel like I'm just running around in circles. Like every, my schedule, I, I, I like a very consistent schedule. Like every Tuesday, I do my podcast, YouTube stuff. Every Thursday night, I play games with my brother. I work the same days. I'm off the same days. Like that's what I like. And that schedule has not been consistent for like two months. And so it's just, ugh, it's just really irking me. So I'm going to get back to it though. Um, with that being said, if you're catching this on YouTube or on SoundCloud, you can always subscribe to me on iTunes. You just have to search for Game Talk Radio because that's technically my podcast, which I contribute to the Drop Rate channel, but this is just uh, my own personal thing on iTunes. So, And I need to start uploading that, I think, to uh, to other places too because I feel like um, like I'm, if I'm only on SoundCloud and iTunes, just not enough to, to grow, so I need to do that. Um, but anyway, thank you as always for listening and watching. I so, so, so appreciate you all. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Uh, you know, actually, I'm, I may not be on next week because I am working next Tuesday. Uh, I'm working like Tuesday. Yeah, um, man, maybe I will Monday night. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to get one up. If, I, if if there isn't one next week, you'll know why. But you know me. Even if I don't do one, I usually just come on and say, hey, no new podcast this week. So at least you have something to explain what happened. But uh, hopefully I'll see you next week if everything works out well. Because I would like to cover all the E3 stuff and talk winners and losers. So thank you, as always, for listening and watching. Take care. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>